Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damien Sassauer. On the lineup today, perfecting your golf swing. Oh my goodness, and I need it. It has never been easier now with the use of data analytics and AI. We will tell you all about how you can master your swing with our coast golf founder and CEO, Sal Syed. Plus, Angel City FC, the L.A.-based National Women's Soccer League team, is looking to raise some more capital for what it calls growth opportunities. Remember, this is a team already backed by stars, including Natalie Portman and Serena Williams. That's right. And the team has been underperforming this season. So interesting to see, Scarlett, how they'll decide to allocate some of that extra capital. Bloomberg's Cameron Leach will join us later to talk about that. But first, oh, Damien and Scarlett, close your ears. It's being dubbed the snap heard around the world. Protection breaks down and time runs out. Down goes Rodgers in the sack for Leonard Floyd. A loss of 10 on the play, and hopefully the Jets are thinking that's the only loss on that play. Joe Buck on the call in audio courtesy of ESPN. Four snaps into his season debut with the Jets. The star QB found himself out of the game with a season-ending Achilles injury. And I'm sure this has Jets fans wondering what in the hell happened. It, 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 you guys, bless your hearts. I mean, I know Damian, Scarlett, you diehard Jets fans, and I'm a Lions fan. Yep. And I know what heartache is like. <laughs> but to watch Aaron Rodgers go down after four stinking snaps. Yeah. yeah. Four. I mean, it, it's you, you can't even you can't make this up. It, it's it's I feel so bad you can't joke about it. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. As a New York Jet fan, you've lived through this before. And, you know, I was at the game, I was there, you know, and 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 forgive me, but you know, like a lot of us who were in the parking lot for the pregame, we were talking about this. We felt this, you know, this is something we've seen. We saw this with Vinny Testaverde before. It's a real shame, yeah. obviously. You know, for me as a Jet fan, what I'd love to see, it's it's no time for tissues, it's time for receipts. How would you feel? How what would you be saying if the Jets didn't win that game? I mean, it'd be pretty bad. But it was a great win. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, you got to win under your belt. It's really hard to win in this league. I think uh, Coach Sala said that for me. I'd love to see what, I mean, Aaron Rodgers' influence can do, even if he's not on the field, but in the locker room with Zach Wilson, with the kid. You know, he's got to, you know, he's still he's still a part of this team. You know, a lot of people followed him over here. You know, I'm talking Cobb. I'm talking Lazard, you know. So let's see if these guys, you know, if, if he could still be an influence on this team. 
Speaking of Coach Sala, he says, look, I know this is a bad break, but don't write our season off just yet. I don't know why people are trying to put an obituary onto our, our team name. Um, you know, it's uh, I, Aaron is an unbelievable piece to this whole thing, and, and we love him, but uh, I think there's there's 52 other guys in the locker room plus the 16 practice squad guys that uh, that believe that we can do a hell of a lot of good things here. And to talk about more of the Jets, Randall Williams, our very own Bloomberg, Randall Williams. Randall, thank you, sir, for joining us on the Bloomberg Business Thank you all for having me. Well, let's start. <laughs> what is the fallout from this? I mean, where do you want to start? You yeah. can talk turf and grass. You can talk how much money the Jets owe him. You can talk what Salah said. I want to talk about, that's right, they guaranteed him, out of his contract, $75 million. Now, I, I don't want to make this out like this is going to be a Bobby Bonilla moment, but look, it, he's not going to play this season. It could have been worse, though. Yeah. He did them a favor, I think, over the summer. It was a $110 million deal over two years. Right. It was the highest paid, at the time, highest paid contract in NFL history. Yeah. And then he brought it back down. I think it's 42 and a half over three, which is like 112 or so. Yeah. With the money, it all depends on if he comes back. And it's too early to tell. Who who knows? But if he does, they still owe him the money regardless. There is no, oh, uh, you know, if he stays on the roster, they have to pay him. They get a first-rounder back, though, don't they? The Packers get a second-rounder if he plays 65. So the Packers now traded Aaron Rodgers to the Jets but did not receive that elusive first-round pick Correct. for him. Correct. Don't get me wrong. The Jets paid an awful lot to bring this man over, and for all the right reasons. I mean, the influence he had in the <laughs> locker room on hard knocks, he's such a beautiful individual. I really can't wait to see the work he can do with Zach Wilson in the quarterback room and with this offensive coaching staff. You know Nathaniel Hackett's going to need it. I mean, the thing is, you you alluded to it there, but he was the biggest star I'd say New York football has had since Odell Beckham. And even longer than that, especially at the quarterback position, the things he was doing and the exposure that he brought on top of hard knocks where he was showing up in New York City, they haven't had anybody like that in a long time. So it's very, very tragic on all facets. So what struck me as amazing is that the NFL scheduled the Jets for, I think, like five primetime games this season. And now that Aaron Rodgers will not be returning for this entire season, what happens? What happens there? Because it's a less compelling viewing experience not a for thing. the rest of the nation. Really? Not a thing. So the NFL. I was on a media call with the NFL yesterday, and one of their executive vice presidents said, "Hey, you know, we only flex one and a half times a season." And quite frankly, if Zach Wilson kills it and they remove these games, how does it look to the Jets? I mean, it's too early to tell. Now, if we get to week. 12 and 13, and there's more compelling stories. I do think that the NFL will flex some of those games out. But until that presents itself, they're going to keep the schedule. This it's time. a good soap opera right now. For sure. For sure. And besides, now we're going to see what Zach Wilson looks like with the quarterback he admired growing up. I mean, one of the things that Aaron Rodgers said, I think on Hard Knocks or in an interview, was that that was the most important relationship for him to come over here. And they've been tight. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like now? And Jets fans... Remember, this also happened very early in the season to another goat, Tom Brady. Yeah. Many years ago, hurt his leg, I think, and they, game And one. he was dead and buried, right? Yeah, he and he was back dead and won many a Super Bowl ring. But, you know, take nothing away from it. Joe Douglas and the team brought him over here. You know, I think Aaron knew the risks when he was coming over here. And, um, you know, this is just the price you pay as a Jet fan. 
I want to go back to what you were talking about, the turf versus the grass, because yep. MetLife Stadium uses turf, right? Yep. And there have been a lot of concerns, a lot of complaints about turf. Um, some quarterbacks have tweeted about this, about you know the NFL putting players in a position to get hurt by right. allowing turf. I know that there's a cost-benefit to using turf over grass, but at this point, if you're going to spend this much money on your exactly. team, really? Why not just go with grass? So that's what the NFLPA would say, is that... This is a billion-dollar business. They make so much money. Why not make the extra investment into fields? The NFL would say there is no correlation between injuries and turf versus grass. There's a lot of disparities. Sometimes people get injured, on depending on the grass and the company, there's probably some data out there that, hey, says grass has injured X players mm-hmm. and turf is injured Y. But when you have players who speak up like this, yeah. it brings the issue to much more light. And Aaron Rodgers is one of them. I think it was earlier this year where he said, we have to make it all grass. And then he gets out there. And this is new turf from MetLife. Yeah. This yeah. is not yeah. the turf from three years ago where Nick Bosa was out there and he tore his ACL. Now, granted, he's a lot younger and was just able to cash in on a $170 million deal. This is not the same for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, this was his swan song. And so to see it happen now, who knows? The NFL and the NFLPA collectively bargain on some of these issues, but it's a long ways out before they hit that point again. But practically speaking, right, the MetLife Stadium could put grass in if it wanted to. (laughs) That's the funny thing. They, They removed the turf for soccer. And they're going to again if they get the World Cup So they'll put in natural grass for that. Yes, 100%. Well, keep in mind, too, the day before... The Giants game, it rained heavily. Yeah. I mean, heavily. And I, I also wonder if that played a little bit of a factor into what happened. I was reading, I think it was the the athletic story, and there have been contrasting comments from some of the players. There are some players who are saying, like, oh, the turf was fine. There are other players who I imagine hate turf because of how tight it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the advantage of turf is that when you stick your foot in the ground, there is no give. It gives you extra push. But when you're making cuts and things like that, sometimes your knee needs that. So an example of this, if you think back on the Super Bowl, the Eagles players complained a lot about the grass. Oh, I don't have traction. I don't have traction. However, the opposite of that is if you put turf down and Patrick Mahomes tears his ACL or his Achilles, Mm. then what are we talking about? Mm. So it's it's a complicated issue. Then I don't know that either side has an answer for right now. But when the World Cup comes in a couple of years and grass is rolled out, the NFLPA is going to be safe. Well, I say this, Randall. I mean, you know, if you look at Leo Messi, he won't play on turf, right? And so when you're getting paid that kind of money, I guess, you know, you can kind of rewrite the rules of the game. I'm not saying that, you know, this is going to wake up anyone to the reality of the situation. But, you know, I'm certainly not a professional quarterback. I don't know what my <laughs> knees are going. You know what I'm saying? So I guess, you know, the only people that really know are the players and if the elite tier one players are unable to play or unwilling mm. to play yep. um, you know and they see that works in other sports at the same sites mm. it all depends on that collective bargaining and, yeah. and the thing is it's a long ways out I mean I think the next time that they go to the table is years away so I mean I think Patrick Mahomes is 28 by the time they go he could be 33 yeah. 34 he could be wow, towards yeah. the back end of his career And that's the issue with some of these things. If the players don't step up to the plate when they're collectively bargaining and they don't push NFL owners and NFL owners will obviously push back. If they don't push it, then it remains the same. And this is a club by club thing. There's some clubs who have grass. There's some clubs who have turf. And the thing with the Giants and and Jets is the fact that two teams play on it. Mm -hmm. So does if you roll out grass, how can you assure that 
the next grass, when the Giants play on it, or the Jets play on it, the next week is going to be as quality as turf would be. I guess they need a retractable roof. That's what it comes down to. New stadium, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, let's get down to the, the brass tacks of it. I mean, now, the merchandising. I, I did a story, I think it was either last week or yeah. two weeks ago, about Aaron Rodgers' merchandise, and he was ranked number two of number all two, NFL yeah. players. And I guarantee if the Jets would have won... Or if the, if he would have played the full game against the Bills, he would have skyrocketed to number one. Now I'm not getting a Jets jersey that I can't see the player play in. It's just how it works. Now I'll be fascinated to see when the NFLPA has data that comes out probably in a couple of weeks where he ranks because the NFL market is still very very popular. I mean the, the New York market is still very very popular. So we'll see. Well, plus too, and you were saying that about the merchandising. It's keep in mind Patrick Mahomes as you had written number one, Rodgers two. Joe Burrow three, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been a heck of a week, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know, it's funny. We talk about you know, we were talking about the primetime games a little bit earlier, and I just have to add this one point. You know, Kansas City uh, and the Chargers, you know, both lost also. <laughs> you know, so it's like I know you know the NFL is going to get their hey, grubby Kansas little paws in to? there about the Jets' schedule and all the primetime <laughs> games we have. But who you know, did Kansas City lose? We're one and zero. What did they lose? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can talk. Okay, there we go. The just sun say, god say, himself, say, Michael Barr. Detroit Lions. <laughs> My Lions look pretty good this year, huh? They, man, they, you know what? And see, that real. wasn't a luck up win either. They earned it. They played well. They want to play under those Dan rookie, Campbell. Those rookie defenders. That oh were there. Look, man, it's a real defense. Good. Yeah. But enough about the Lions. Let's talk about Detroit for a while. No, I'm <laughs> well, Randall, what what stories lines are you working on going forward here when when it comes to Aaron Rodgers? The biggest thing is does he return? That's that's the biggest thing, and I don't think he's going to go out and call out the Jets for turf. It just wouldn't be like him to do something like that. But the biggest thing is does he return? Because here's the here's the the biggest if that I've thought about. If Zach Wilson plays this entire season, and let's say the Jets go 10-7, and they get a wild-card spot, and then they upset someone in the playoffs, even if they just make the playoffs, he's eligible for a contract extension at the end of the year. If Aaron Rodgers decided to come back, would the Jets pay Zach Wilson? Do you bench Zach Wilson and bring Aaron Rodgers back? Because you can't have two max quarterbacks on the roster. It just creates cap space hell. So that's the biggest thing that I'm watching right now. The primetime stuff we'll see as the season goes on. But I think um, Damian was saying this earlier. The Jets' season is not dead. The defense shut down Josh Allen a couple days ago, and they're going to play some elite quarterbacks throughout the season. But it's up to Zach Wilson to manage the game. I don't think I'm. I'm not personally expecting him to come in and dominate. We didn't see that last year. I don't expect it for him to make the biggest jump this year. But if he can just manage the game well enough to get them to the playoffs, he can argue that hey, I have another season to be mentored by Aaron Rodgers. I want $175 million right now. And and again, it's if you saw the injury and you and you had to look close because you had to see it on replay. Because when you're looking at it from the, the injury standpoint, I, at first I thought, well, he must have gotten poked in the eye or something like that. And then they kept replaying it and replaying it. And literally there's a shot. The pop. Where, yes, you could see it. Pop and and again, if you if you have weak constitutions, don't look at that because no. that, that is really hard. There's to one. Watch. There's one more thing. What happens? And God forbid this happens. But what happens if a similar injury happens to Zach Wilson? Ugh. Then what? Yeah, it's it's going to be a serious uproar because if the Jets lose, not be the one, Joe Flacco show. Well, not one, but two franchise quarterbacks, and it doesn't have to be an Achilles. It could be an ACL. Right. I mean, God forbid it happened. But if it happens again, this is going to get way bigger.
I mean, imagine how much money was put on the Jets to make the playoffs, make to the win Super the Bowl, division, yeah. to make the Super Bowl. All of those things are poof dead. <laughs> That's the Gone. noise, folks. Poof, I just gave it to you. Randall, you are so kind to join us. I appreciate you. Bloomberg all. Zone, man. We appreciate it, buddy. Thank yep, you. Thank for you. Us the Aaron Rodgers situation here. Up next on the show, we speak with Bloomberg's Cameron Leach on why Angel City FC is trying to raise more capital. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Foo and Damian Sassauer, and this is Bloomberg. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Just some great goals scored by the NWSL's Angel City FC this year. The star-studded backers of the L.A.-based professional women's soccer team, Angel City Football Club. They're looking to raise more capital for what they call growth opportunities. And this is a club we are quite familiar with here at Bloomberg. Recently on The Circuit with Emily Chang, Emily sat down with three co-founders of Angel City, Natalie Portman, Kara Nortman, and Julie Ehrman. Kara has a lot of experience as a venture capitalist in the tech world. In their conversation, Kara talked about how she's using her experience in tech to create success for Angel City. The interesting thing about sports relative to tech, we talk about product market fit a lot in tech, which means you're actually trying to build to a new consumer and user behavior that may not exist. In sports, we're literally trying to put butts in seats. And so once you put the butts in the seats, every other revenue stream flows from that, right? And it's, there's incredibly valuable rights, media rights, merchandising rights, gaming rights, all of these different rights that flow from putting the butts in the seats and people being able to follow it. So I think the really interesting about, thing about women's sports and Angel City specifically, is that you can get into the tens of millions of dollars of revenue even before media revenue. And so we have a plan to be the first hundred million dollar revenue business in women's sports. And I think we're constantly sort of trying to figure out how to do the core things, put butts in seats, really bring in mission aligned sponsors while building to new revenue streams that may be even more innovative than the men's side. That's Angel City FC co-founder 
Kara Nortman, speaking alongside her partners Julie Ehrman and film star Natalie Portman. You can check out that full conversation on the circuit with Emily Chang. The podcast is available on demand at Bloomberg.com slash podcast and on your favorite podcast platform. Now, how much money is Angel City looking to raise? Bloomberg's Cameron Leach is here to help us answer that question. Cameron, thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. It's always a good time to be, be with you here. Woo-hoo. First of all, <laughs> let's talk about this. Uh, they're raising capital. Why? Uh, honestly, from my from my understanding and my reporting, they want to take on an ambitious plan to you know further elevate club operations. Uh, Listen, the, just to, the world of emerging sports, especially women's sports in the U.S., is just really become a coveted uh, an asset now. And if we just look at all of the investments in sports over the past year or two, so much private capital has just been pouring and pouring and pouring into that that division. And uh, you know, it's, it's so many people who want who want their hand in the pot, the honey pot, I would say. And, uh, <laughs> and I think there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot, a lot I more. I thought my stepson was the only one that said that. Man. That's very good. <laughs> so. Cameron, let me ask you. Yes. This is Angel City responding to lots of offers from investors. Based off of my my information and my intel, this only came up after inbound interest from uh, private equity, family offices, and also institutional investors as well too. Um, and honestly, just you know, if we think about a lot of the the uh, sports industries out there, think about the NBA. They just started allowing um, institutional capital yeah. into their. Um, into their league as well too. NFL not not yet, but they're also considering it. And so for them to be able to take this on, it's only 12 teams in the U.S. right now. There's a lot more growth areas to uh, happen within the National Women's Sports uh, Soccer League for sure. They're doing it because they can, Damian. Yeah, well, I mean exactly. I mean, I mean, Cameron. So in 2021, um, and you know, we had Karen Nortman, co-founder of Angel yeah. City and managing partner of Monarch Collective, on uh, Bloomberg Business Sports not long ago. I believe they had raised money previously in 21 at a $100 million valuation. Any indication as to what the club is now valued at? Uh, it, it's still not yet known. Um, they're keeping that very close to wraps. And, uh, and trust me, I'm trying my hardest to uncover <laughs> for sure. Uh, even with some of my conversations with people that are you know, uh, very closely connected to the to that club there, uh, they are definitely keeping that very tight-knit. But it's, it's definitely on the rise. Um, even if we think about just valuations, though, uh, within sports in itself, uh, the, the ROI is definitely there for sure. I mean, any ideas to use of proceeds? Like, are they looking to, you know, build a stadium, you know, hire the Leo Messi of women's soccer? Uh, <laughs> you know, what, what, what are they using the funds for? No, honestly, I think right now was probably the best uh, use case for capital right now would be trying to, uh, you know, get the best media rights. Yeah. Uh, they want to get out there to yeah. get the most money for uh, wherever they can get the, the best platform, whether that be Apple, who's doing that with MLS, and obviously, you know, uh, with the rise of Messi in Miami, uh, they're definitely trying to take on, you know, new opportunities there. And honestly, we're try- they're trying, from my understanding, is to get the most eyeballs. And, you know, that's where they hope to use some of that capital as well, too. Now, I know Angel City has been playing that role. We don't discuss business at the dinner table mm-hmm, moment, mm-hmm. but it, it seems to me that it's going to be easier for them to raise this capital because finally people are starting to realize there's a lot of money out there in oh, women's sports. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And honestly, too, I think just the appetite for just not only women's sports, but just sports in general. But this is why women's sports is so uh, incremental right now is because it's early. Is still emerging. Like if you're in the NBA, you still have to pay a high price tag to even, and then you have to hold it for at least 
10 to 15 years to get the, the, the right ROI there. But for the uh, National Women's Soccer League, it's so early. You can even, they might even expand. Who knows? We'll see. We'll still try to poke around and see what will happen. So there there's too. this perception that it could be undervalued or you want to get in early before it really takes off. Um, you mentioned that Angel City is one of the flagship clubs for the 12-team NWSL. Do you have a sense of whether the other clubs in the league are getting this kind of interest? Uh, from my understanding, that's a yes. I know San Francisco uh, recently did some uh, capital raising, I want to say at least a year ago or so. Um, I'm blanking on the numbers right now, but I, th- I think that's just kind of that's a testament to the appetite. Mm-hmm. And we got to think about the markets as well, too. L.A. is Los Angeles. It's like, mm-hmm. obviously, it's Hollywood. And uh, just think about some of the names that's attached to Angel City. You know, think about Serena Williams, Alex Ohanian, uh, just Natalie you know, Portman. Ke- Natalie Portman. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the appetite is definitely there. For sure. Well, I mean, I just have one question. You know, we we always focus on the business side of sports here on the show, but, you know, we can't (laughs) ignore the fact that uh, Becky Tweed took over uh, as interim coach, Mm -hmm. you know, when, you know, L.A. was not doing so well to begin the season. And I think they're undefeated ever since, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, talk to us about, you know, what's going on there. I mean, what is she doing right? How is she changing the face of the franchise and getting them to win again? Yeah, I mean... Honestly, I don't know her her story too well, but I will say just uh, being the the spotlight that L.A. is, I think they have to you know continue to make great hires, continue to bring in some of the biggest names and talent when it comes to women's sports and women's soccer as well. And I think that's going to be they're going to be a catalyst to you know further elevate the uh, league for sure. This is going to be across a lot of boards, not mm-hmm. only of course for the soccer club. But we're talking all kinds of sports oh, for women ball, out there. Yeah, 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 yeah this is this is going to move on, man. Yeah, this is this is a, a well, women's soccer for sure. That's definitely in, in the U.S. is definitely a uh, growth asset for sure. I think there's just been a lot of interest in one uh, women getting their equal pay just across the board, whether that be the WNBA or mm-hmm. women's soccer as well too. And I think that definitely deserves a bigger light as well too. But they're very uh, keen about who they bring on in their new investor base as well too, from my understanding. And they want to make sure that it's a diverse uh, investor class of backers as well too. Well, thank you, first of all, for joining us. Oh, and then, but put the old hand in the honeypot. And Aiden, if you're listening, see, you usually say that to me when we're playing Monopoly and I land on your properties. Well, listen, we take my hand and put it in the old honeypot over here with your cash. Oh, man. That was good. I like that. Cameron Leach, our very own Bloomberg. Thank you so much, sir, for joining thank us. Thanks for having me. It's always a good time here. Up next on the show, we talk tech and golf. With Arcos Golf CEO Sal Syed. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports show from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, 
a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Damian, let's talk golf and technology. You know all about golf. Yeah, 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 Michael. I mean, you know, look, every aspect of our world is driven by data. And now that includes your golf swing. You want to know more about your swing mechanics? There's data for you. You want to know more about which club will give you the best shot to hit the green? There's data for you. Want to stop duffing your irons? The data will tell you how to do that. Of course, data drives everything, right? So how do you access that data? Arcos Golf is a company that's utilizing AI, of course, and analytics for an on-the-course tracking system. Sal Syed is the CEO, and he joins us here in studio. Sal, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, one of the things that I've always wondered about with golf, and when I saw the story, I said, child... Now, i got to figure out what I'm going to do here about improving my swing. Because usually you hear that whiff, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's uh, Michael Barr on the course. But you have something (laughs) that can help me with that. Please tell me what you have. I mean, it can help you. It can literally help everybody from a beginner to uh, somebody who's aspiring to be uh, the best golfer in the world. Uh, I would say we're doing two things. One is we're capturing every shot you take on the golf course. And that's, in our view at Arcos, the most important piece of data. Um, and then we've created an AI system that actually analyzes this data to help you understand what exactly it is that you need to work on. Because when you look at golf, what we've done is we've deconstructed golf. Right. So it, golf isn't just one game. It's many, many games in one. Your driving, for example, is a very different kind of shot than your putting or your chipping or your sand shot or your approach shots. So we deconstruct the game into its component pieces, and then we're able to pinpoint exactly what you should be working on. And that's really, really powerful. And that's just one piece of what we do. See, Scarlett doesn't need that because you know, <laughs> she's all Annika Sorenstam, zero, you know, handicap and everything. You didn't see me at the driving range this past weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different story. But Sal, take us through exactly how this works. If you're Damien Sassauer and you're on the course, mm-hmm. how does Damien use your technology to get better? Sure. So it's very simple. It's these sensors that are in my hand. I know your listeners can't see it, but um, you attach them to the grip end of each club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a one-time pairing process, like similar to how you might pair your AirPods mm-hmm. uh, with your phone. So it's a one-time pairing process, so we know which sensor is attached to which club. And then after that, honestly, all you do is uh, start the gap. Start. The, we already know what course you're on, so you just start the round on that course and you go play. And we record every shot that you take. And as you play, the system gets smarter about it. So like after five rounds, we have an AI caddy that we actually Mm -hmm. built in partnership with Microsoft. So it starts giving you, I would say, a PGA Tour caddy-like advice. It takes wind into account, elevation change, everything. So based on your strengths and weaknesses, 
based on how well you hit certain clubs or how badly you might hit those clubs and based on your data, um, the caddy um, starts recommending what clubs you should play. And then the other thing we do is after the round, we analyze your game. So let's say you shot 105 and you want to shoot a 95. You want to improve by 10 shots, which, by the way, our average user improves by five shots in their first season alone Mm. with Arcos. And so what we do is after the round, we tell you versus a player who might have shot 95, let's say you're you're 20 handicapper and you want to get to a 10 handicap. We pinpoint where what's the lowest hanging fruit for you for those 10 shots. And that's really important because otherwise um, you might be wasting your time. In fact, more often than not, you will be because you're not focusing on the things that matter the most and working on that. See, Damien, my AI caddy group is starting out with, fool, you're holding the club upside down. <laughs> well, well, Michael, that's exactly that. I mean, you're taking me to my next question, right? I mean, Sal, talk to us about this AI engine, right? I mean, everyone knows me. I'm snap hooking my drive. I'm thinning my wedges. I'm chunking my irons. I don't care what the wind is telling me. I want to know what tools I can use to make my game better. I'm talking training tools or, 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 or podcasts. I mean, talk to us about having, you know, your own personal little tin cup next to you, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, is there anything, you know, from sort of a cross-sales, cross-marketing perspective that Arcos can do, like partners that it can recommend, tools it can recommend? Damien, what I will say is today we do um, send out emails with, like, based on your tendencies. Like, let's say maybe you need um, help with your driver distance and your accuracy is really good with driving and you're losing strokes because of distance. Um, we will recommend the stack. And, and we've done partnerships like that. I think that's the path uh, of the future. Uh, when you look at where Arcos is going to go, we have recorded 750 million shots. We have data on what actually helps golfers get better. And as the future evolves, that's exactly what's going to happen more and more. So today, for example, you might be Googling, like, hey, how do I stop snap hooks? Mm-hmm. And in the future, I see a world Uh, where that content based on your Arcos data is being surfaced to you, which targets, I'm going to say, you're a six handicapper. And and that works perfectly for you because we'll have feedback loop on what contents uh, contents actually work in the best for you. So totally, I mean, I would say your finger's on the pulse of where stuff is going. For a guy like me who still has wood shafts that still run around with the clubs, I'm hoping that I'm in this target, but what is the target that you're trying to get to for this particular product? That's a great question. In fact, I would say to answer that, I'll take us back a little bit. So like in golf, uh, over the 500 years, there have been some transformational changes. I was there for um, 400 of them. <laughs> <laughs> the last 400 or the first 400? <laughs> the first one, yeah, really. <laughs> so, so when you look at maybe like 300 years ago, we invented competition, and mm-hmm. that drove people to watch and um, learn about golf. A couple of hundred years ago, uh, we decided, you know, like originally courses were discovered. Um, we started with, with the industrial revolution and construction coming in. We started building golf courses, which allowed golf courses to scale. So they weren't just seaside links and you could have them inland, which scaled golf. And then maybe a hundred years ago, I'll say like um, some of the material science innovations came mm-hmm. in. So now this new revolution that golf's upon is the data revolution. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're bringing to golf. And so with that, um, I think like the biggest thing that I'll say is everything that's happening around us is driven by data. 
and golf has been a little bit behind honestly on it right now there's a top the top 150 players in the world on the PGA tour they have access to their data and that's about it uh, what we're doing is bringing it to the rest of the 60 to 70 million golfers our goal is to make arcos an essential tool in your bag it'll be like playing without a putter it'll be playing it'll be like playing without a driver um, and so our target like going back to your question is literally every golfer who's looking to improve uh, which by the way like I would say like the scale probably is um, I read a survey by the National Golf Foundation uh, which said that 84% of golfers play golf to get better at golf mm-hmm. um, I think the other 16% might be lying yeah. Uh, but uh, that's our target, the 84% of people who are actually looking to get better at golf out of the 60 to 70 million golfers. And we understand that as the technology evolves, as we make the offerings wider and broader, it's going to eventually target every single one of them. So in terms of total addressable market, it's anyone who has ever touched a golf club and stepping foot in a driving range or on a golf course. I'm curious to get your take on the popularity of golf, because before the pandemic, it was definitely faltering. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic was a revival of sorts for the sport of golf, for the activity of golf, for for everyone, because it was a naturally socially distanced uh, sport. Has that maintained its momentum? And I ask because a lot of things that we picked up during the pandemic, Peloton, among other things, has really dropped off a cliff. Has golf maintained the popularity it acquired during the pandemic, and what do you see in terms of the data out there about the the market of golfers out there? Yeah, so so golf has been unique in the sense that it has maintained that momentum, and I think part of the reason is one of the things that COVID did for us was it changed the work dynamics. Yeah. So so most of the people are still have X number of days working from home, which I think that's allowing people to maybe um, golf after five o'clock more easier uh, during weekdays. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe because they're spending a little bit more time home, um, they're looking to get out on the weekends and maybe they're able to uh, for that round of golf. Whereas otherwise prior to COVID, essentially everybody was at work from like nine to maybe seven when you include commute and everything. So weekend was the decompression. Um, so I think that's part of the reason golf has sustained itself. So when we look at rounds, um, they're still kind of where they were uh, post-COVID. So Sal, you know, we talked about, you know, the low-hanging fruit, right? How your AI engine can direct you to, you know, podcasts or training tools, you know, other forms of content from a cross-marketing perspective, obviously all of that. But talk to me about the hardware, you know, where we're at in terms of the hardware in golf technology. You know, I love my Arcos, but there's so much more data that can be consumed during play. Talk to us about those advancements that allow Arcos to capture, I mean, I'm not a monster like you are, Mr. Scratch, but like swing speed, yeah. attack angle, that's smash a great question, factor, David. max height. Like, are we going there? David, that's all coming. Like, uh, the thing I think about, like, in terms of, I mean, technology really is like a train. Like, either you get on it, you get run over by it. And so there is only one direction um, that it's pointed in, which is more and more data. Um, and so with that, like, our vision and our mission is to, we believe that um, the on-course in-play data, the perform- performance data when you're actually golfing is the most important data. Right now, we collect where your shots start and where they end up and all kinds of metrics around it. We will, like through these sensors, uh, eventually collect all kinds of swing mechanics data. So as your next time, when you duck hook that shot, we'll know exactly how that happened. Now, to do that, we need to put a gyroscope in the sensor. And that's something that is uh, is going to happen in the future. 
the question is around timing and also around USGA conformity. So we're working with the United States Golf Association to allow us to put a gyroscope in the sensor so that we can actually be used in competition and tournament with the gyroscope. Right now, USGA does not allow gyroscopes uh, in sensors, and that's the only reason, really, where we don't why we don't have one in there. Uh, you got a $20 million investment from the PGA Tour and other related equipment manufacturers, which, my goodness, you know, yeah. s- salute. Thank <laughs> you. Thank good. you. Thank you. It's awesome for the business. We, we got the investment uh, by the PGA Tour, but also... Um, Ping, TaylorMade, Cobra Puma Golf, and Callaway. Mm-hmm. So it's really um, the top uh, names in the industry coalescing behind Arcos, but also behind our vision and our mission in terms of bringing the data revolution to golf. Mm-hmm. I think it's a testament not just to the team, but also to uh, to the work that's already been done, but also the work that needs to be done and will be done. So, Sal, I mean, look, aside from it all, you know, obviously Arcos is amazing. You know, obviously, congrats on the fundraise. Congrats on the deal with the PGA. You know, you're also an incredible golfer. You've had four aces in your career. You're passionate about course architecture. Man, do you owe him money? Because you have bothering him up. Damien, I have six now. I believe you're a member of Oakmont. (laughs) Um, I believe you're also a member of Tamarack Country Club, a course up in Greenwich that I'm pretty familiar with. Talk to us about, you've golfed a lot of different courses. What makes them special? What are you looking for in today's modern golf course from an architectural perspective? That's a very, I mean, it's a great question. It's a very hard question to answer. Each course has its own flavor. I'll tell you, like like the two courses you mentioned, Tamarack Trees. and well, they, they, both of them actually uh, went through a legendary tree removal process to restore them. But I think uh, when you look at Tamarack, and which um, it's actually my favorite kind of architecture, which is the C.B. McDonald School of Architecture, National Golf Links uh, on Long Island kind of spawned it. And actually, um, I would say American golf revolution owes a ton of gratitude because that's what put America on the map in terms of golf, National Golf Links did. Absolutely. And, and that kind of architecture is really, to me, that's the best kind of architecture because it really lets you, if you're a beginner, the, like you see whether it's Tamarack or any of these courses, the fairways are wide, the greens are always open to the run-up. So you can putt from like 100 yards as you're learning, um, and it allows people to have fun. Uh, but as you get better, these courses – get harder the closer to the hole you get, the more amplified the challenge gets. And so that challenges the best players uh, while giving entertainment, enjoyment, and fun to the highest or the uh, handicappers or the beginners amongst us. Um, and that's what I think like makes a place like Tamarack special. Uh, when, when you look at Oakmont, it's actually a totally different kind of architecture. It's the penal school of architecture, which is, uh, it's hosted the most U.S. Opens. It's People think it's the hardest golf course in the world. And so what makes Oakmont special is every single shot, you have to step up and hit a great shot. If you don't do that, it exposes you. You're penalized. Uh, in fact, uh, the founder of Oakmont had a line, which uh, was a shot poorly struck should be a shot irrevocably lost, which you don't lose a ball. But there's like a strokes gain loss. There's a penalty to pay. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes Oakmont special. Yeah, but it's no putt-putt course in the Poconos, man. Harco's <laughs> <laughs> Golf co-founder and CEO, Sal Sayed. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having some fun with us here. Thank you. On the Thanks Bloomberg for having Business me. Of sports. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, and we would like to thank our guests, Bloomberg reporters Randall Williams and Cameron Leach, and Arcos Golf CEO, Sal Sayed. And, of course, thank you for listening to us this week.
I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on X at Dick Barr Sport. And you can follow me at Scarlet Foo. And I'm on X at T Sass Hour. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big old money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.